There's snow on the ground, Christmas is coming up, and we got football to talk about. God, just puts you in a good mood, doesn't it? Let's talk about it. Week 7 of the ISFL has come and gone. Welcome back to Russ Fans Daily ISFL Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Week 7 then predicting some things for Week 8. Starting off with the second line at the Sabercats, the game the Sabercats won 27-12. A much-needed recovery game for the Sabercats. They win their first after dropping three in a row with a strong showing at home against the top team in the ASFC. They weren't extremely explosive on offense, but they moved the ball most of the game and their D was just locked down. They moved to 3-4 and four with plenty of games left to turn their season around. NOLA drops only their second game of the season, this one much more understandable because they were on the road. Still, you hope to see the offense make any sort of headway at some point in the game. 10 points isn't nearly good enough. Their defense struggled, but they had absolutely no help from the offense. NOLA actually won the time of possession game 30 minutes and 7 seconds to 29 minutes and 53 seconds, so possession wasn't actually the issue. Finishing drives was. NOLA has survived the season despite being quite low in several statistical categories, and one hopes this isn't the start of a mid-season meltdown. My notable players, for SJS, running back Randall Carl Drizian had 89 yards, averaged for 3.7 yards per carry and two touchdowns, while Lawrence Bass at linebacker had 11 tackles, one sack, and three pass deflections. For NOLA offensive lineman Adam Malott had seven pancakes, a very impressive amount, while on defense linebacker Bushlight had 11 tackles, one tackle for loss, and one pass deflection. My play of the game with 6.05 left in the second, tied at 10-10. Monterey Jack made a risky throw to Jod Jod Ding Dong, who made the catch over two defenders and fought his way to the goal line. Listen in on the radio call. Second down and three with six minutes left here in the second quarter. Three wide receivers split out, one tight end in. Monterey Jack takes a step, steps back, and he's going to throw. Oh, it's a risky one at Jod Jod Ding Dong, and he catches over two defenders, and he's fighting another two, and he's going to be just short of the end zone, and he's going to set up a first end goal from the New Orleans second yard line. Team reactions for this week, Director's Cut said, was a tough one for us. Offense got off to a hot start, but then stonewalled for the rest of the game. Was pretty cool to see Toblerone get that safety in the fourth quarter. SJS seems to have had our number for a while now, especially in their house. Hopefully we play better when we meet in NOLA. CKRL said, our offense looked really strong tonight, probably the most efficient it had been all season. Defense was on the field probably a little longer than we would have liked, but they rose to the challenge and made some key stops to secure a much-needed Friday win. Next up, we've got the Yellowknife Wraith at the Sarasota Sailfish, a game the Wraiths won 26-6. The battle between the top two teams in the NFC was rather underwhelming. Sarasota never even sniffed the lead going down 14-0 before they <clears throat> stormed back, putting up six points of their own before dropping down 26-6. Now, we're only halfway through the year, and Yellowknife is still going to have another game against Sarasota coming up in Week 16, so that seems to be where we'll decide the number one seed. But for a first meeting between these two squads, Yellowknife comes off as superior. The most shocking stat of all, Yellowknife just won its fourth road game in Week 7. Out of the seven games they've played, five have been on the road, and they've been 4-1. and one meaning that down the second half of the season, they get a 6-3 home stretch while leading the division. If I were a betting man, I'd certainly put some money down on the race for that number one seed. For Sarasota, this loss is hardly killer. They still hold that number two seed over Chicago because of their win over them earlier in the year, and they still sit pretty at 5-2. and two. 
They also get the majority of their back half of the schedule at home. So all they need to do is continue playing well to win a few coin flip games on the road to land their way. Don't count them out either. My notable players for Yellowknife, Colby Jack, at quarterback threw for 348 yards, had two touchdowns and no interceptions. While on defense, Dijabuti McJimmerson at cornerback had six tackles, two pass deflections, and two interceptions. For Sarasota's offense, I'm not giving the game ball to anybody because I, I must have scanned this uh, box score like f for five or six minutes, and I just couldn't find a single person I wanted to shout out, not even on the offensive line. So nobody gets the game ball for them. On defense, though, Cuckoo Clemente at safety had six tackles and one sack, so I'm going to give him the shout-out for this week. My play of the game with 2.14 left in the fourth and down 23-6, Mike Boss Jr. was attempting to get anything going for a stagnant stalefish offense when he threw a pick to McJemerson for his second interception of the day, which he returned to the 20 of the sailfish. Listen in on the radio call. Third down and 10 from the Yellowknife 42. Mike Boss Jr. lines up under center. Two wide receivers split out. One running back right behind him. Mike Boss Jr. takes a snap, throws underneath, and a dump off, and it's intercepted. Digibody McJemerson's got it. He's going to run it all the way down to the 20-yard line of Sarasota and setting up the Yellowknife Wraiths just inside the red zone. Team, rea team reactions for this week. It's going to be very simple, as always, with Frost. He just says, pain. While Fly Eagles Fly says, man, what a win. Being the top 10 in the league and winning three division games on the road is incredibly tough, especially when you do it back-to-back-to-back. -to -back -to -back. Sarasota is a very strong team, and we just have to keep it up. Our defense has been suffocating so far this season, and we've just got to keep it rolling. In terms of the next game, it's going to be a very meaningful one to me. Not only are we playing the back-to-back -back champions, but it's my personal rivalry game. I'm 99% sure that we have yet to beat Monty and SJS since he took over, so we are hoping to get a win when they visit Yellowknife. Next up, we've got the Colorado Yeti, the Orange County Otters, a game the Otters won 23-13. The Yeti find themselves below 500 for the first time in years and are looking to be in serious danger of missing the playoffs, a prognosis not many would have had about this team before the season started. The main issue so far, the Yeti cannot win a road game. Seriously, they're 0-4 on the season. Now granted, the competition level has been quite literally the best, minus the Fire Salamanders, so they can be forgiven for the struggles, and they're still unbeaten at home with a much easier back half of the schedule coming up. Don't count out Colorado just yet. OCL bounces back from an embarrassing home loss to New York last week to stay in contention for the top spot in the ASFC. They find themselves tied at 5-2 with the Copperheads in the second line. The catch? Both Nola and OCO have played the exact same home road split. 3-1 at home, 2-1 on the road. If either team is going to gain some ground on the other, it'll likely have to be on the road, which favors the Otters. My notable players for Colorado, William Lim gets another shout-out for me for four catches, 73 yards and a touchdown. While on defense, National Simulation Football League, which is his actual name, not International Simulation Football League, like I called him in like my first episode, which quite a few people called me out on. Uh, he plays safety at eight tackles, one pass deflection, and one interception. For the Otters, I'm going to give my game ball to Suleiman Ramza, quarterback who threw for 218 yards, had two touchdowns and one interception. While on defense, Joseph Jostar, the linebacker, had 11 tackles, one tackle for loss, and one sack. My play of the game, with 12.50 left in the third, an extremely close and defensively focused 7-6 game, hinged on the first major play m made, and Corn Abernathy came through. He jumped a Matthias Caliban pass for a pick, leading to the second Orange County Otters touchdown. Listen in on the radio call. Second down and six, 12.50 left here in the third. Caliban lines up under center, two, three wide receivers split out, one running back in the backfield, one tight end in. Caliban takes a snap, steps back, throws to the right, and he's going to be intercepted. Picked up by Corn Abernathy, and he's taken down right there, and the Otters are going to take over on Colorado's half of the field. Team reactions, Jeffy said, tough game between two really good teams. We got fortunate with some big stops defensively, and we'll gladly take those. The offense looked more alive this game, and that's music to our ears following the last few weeks. 
selling TV sale, all they posted to me was the uh, 21 to 3 meme from the Ultimates a couple years back. So it turns out might still be just a little bit salty. Moving on, the Arizona Outlaws at the Austin Copperheads, a game the Austin Copperheads won 29-26. Austin just keeps winning. At 5-2, not many people pick them to be fighting for the playoffs, but they have certainly earned the right to be a part of the discussion. Nobody can beat their ability to run the ball, and their defense is the best in the division, even if it's slightly leaky by league-wide standards. The catch? They've burned through five of their home games for the season. Now, you can only play the games you're scheduled to play, and they did manage to win all five, but still, they're 0-2 on the road and will likely have to play six road games to only three more home games. One has to wonder if a home-oriented schedule hasn't boosted them at least a little bit thus far. As for Arizona, it doesn't seem to matter whether they're at home or on the road. They can't win a game. At 2-5, and five, they've also played most of their games at home to lackluster results. Not much more to say about them, this team other than that their free agent losses were obviously crippling, and JQ is every bit the tuno machine he's become recently, and that gives Arizona no shot at success. My notable players for Arizona, Darren Palmer, running back, had 58 yards, averaged 2.8 yards per carry, but had three goal line touchdowns. While on defense, Tayshawn Crunk at safety had eight tackles, one pass deflection, and one interception. For Austin, Zoe Watson, running back, had 86 yards, averaged 4.1 yards per carry, and one touchdown. I could have given it to either Austin running back, but, you know, I'm a simp for Zoe Watson. On defense, Slinky Claxton, defensive end, had five tackles, two tackles for loss, and one sack. And I need to give a special shout-out this week to my old Python teammate, Pseudo QB at kicker who kicked five for five on his field goals and two for two on his extra points. An extremely impressive performance. My play of the game with 141 left in the third, Arizona was down 19-10 and set on Austin's 17-yard line when Maverick Bowie picked off JQ and returned him all the way to the Arizona 24 for a 64-yard return, leading to an Austin TD to basically clinch the game. Listen in on the radio call. Minute 41 left here in the third. Arizona lines up inside the Austin red zone. Three wide receivers split out, one tight end in. JQ lines up in the shotgun. He steps back to throw. He's going to throw to the right. It's going to be intercepted. It was tipped and right into the hands of Maverick Bowie. He's running back all the way down to the field. He's got one man to beat, and JQ's going to take him down right there at the 20-yard line. And then Austin's going to be set up right inside the red zone, ready to take control of this game. Team reaction. There's not much to talk about for this one. Amidships didn't have anything to say, and Krunk basically just said, nah, classic road game, on to the next one. Next up, we've got the New York Silverbacks at the Honolulu Hahalua, a game the Hahalua won 34-27. Honolulu picked up the very first win of their season, finally at home versus New York. I still wouldn't expect much of them going forward, but congrats to them all the same. The Silverbacks fall back down to earth after their win in OCO a week ago, sitting at 3-4. and four. Neither squad promises to make an impact on the rest of the year, but perhaps one of them could play spoiler. My notable players for Honolulu, Corbin Brown, former Baltimore Hawk, had six catches for 112 yards and two touchdowns, while on defense, Asher Montaigne, the defensive end, had six tackles, two tackles for loss, and one sack. For New York, Sam Howitzer threw for 357 yards, had one touchdown, no interceptions, and ran for a touchdown, while on defense, Jack Banks had seven tackles and two sacks. My play of the game with 246 left in the third and up only one point, 21-20. The Silverbacks made the risky call to go for it in fourth and one at the Honolulu 37. The Ashley Owens run up the middle was stuffed, and Honolulu took over with all the momentum. Listen in on the radio call. Silverbacks up 24-20 with about 245 left here in the third. They're going to make the decision stuck in no man's land to decide to go for it. They're lining up. Two wide receivers split out. Sam Howitzer lines up under center. He's going to take the snap. He's going to hand it off to Ashley Owens, and he's blown up in the hole. He never had a shot at picking up that first down, and the ha-ha Lua are going to take over right there. 
Team Reactions B. Westfeld said, I think we gave a great effort, but the nose in the stadium preferred to be too much, and that is where communication broke down. The Ha Ha Luar, great team and better than their record shows. Gucci didn't have anything to say. Next up, we've got the Berlin Fire Salamanders at the Baltimore Hawks, a game the Fire Salamanders won 24-17. The Fire Salamanders went two in a row, topping the Hawks on the road for their first road win of the year. Less a dramatic win for Berlin than a crushing loss for Baltimore. They needed a win here to keep their outside chances at the playoffs alive, and now any odds of a miraculous season are basically over. A week after what I declared the best game of their career, Chika Fujiwara played awful and sunk her team in a game that they needed. My notable players, Berlin, Danny King, the running back, had 34 yards, averaged 2.8 yards per carry, and scored two touchdowns, while on defense, Asher Quinn at cornerback had eight tackles, one pass deflection, and one interception. For Baltimore, Doug Hallett had five catches for 65 yards and scored one touchdown, while on defense, defensive end iHeart Syracuse had seven tackles, one forced fumble, and one fumble recovery. My play of the game with 11.28 left in the second, the Hawks were down 14-0 and attempting a drive to put any points on the board. Fujiwara then threw a pick to Asher Quinn, who returned the ball painfully to the one-yard line, leading to an easy Berlin score. Listen in on the radio call. Third down and two, Chika Fujiwara lines up under center, down 7-0, three wide receivers split out, one tight end in. Fujiwara takes a snap, steps back, he's going to throw the, over the middle, it's going to be intercepted, picked off by Asher Quinn, and he's going back, he's at the 40, he's at the 30, he's at the 21 man to beat, 10, 5, oh, he's tipped right there, and he's going to fall down, oh, he's just one shy, shy of the touchdown, oh, that's going to sting. Team reactions for this one, Jewelt said, man, we're finally getting into gear. It took a bit, but we're starting to roll. Hopefully we keep it going and the defense continues to improve. Please Enemy Now didn't have anything to say about this game. Next up, we've got the Chicago Butchers at the Philadelphia Liberty, a game the Butchers easily won 31-13. The Butchers continue the recent tradition of trading wins and losses with a big blow out of Philly while on the road. They are now in a fight with Sarasota for the number two seeds in the NSFC, with one more game to go against them this year. They will likely need that win to take the spot, but for now they are certainly a very confident team of a playoff spot halfway through the year. As long as they can top Colorado, Colorado in six weeks, they can make the playoffs for the third time in four seasons. The Liberty fall to 2-5 and five into, the, into the cellar of the NSFC with little hope of climbing out. Nothing else to say about the team from the city of brotherly love. My notable players for Philly, Killian Chambers at wide receiver had three catches for 66 yards and one touchdown, while on defense, Jimmy DeSoto, the linebacker, had seven tackles, one tackle for loss, one sack, and one pass deflection. For Chicago, quarterback George O'Donnell threw for 333 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception, while on defense, Juan Domine, the linebacker, had 10 tackles and one sack. My play of the game, with 322 left in the third and down 14-3, the Liberty bizarrely decided to go for it on 4th and 6 on their own 41. Mario Von Pebble sacked Phoenix for a loss of 11 yards, and Chicago took control of the possession and permanent control of the game. Listen in on the radio call. Fourth down and six on their own 41-yard line, and it looks like the Liberty are going to go for it. I don't know what they're doing here. They're only down one. Three wide receivers split out, one tight end in, one running back lined up to his right. Phoenix takes a snap to throw, and nobody blocked Fawn Hayes, and he's going to sack Fawn Phoenix immediately for a loss of 11 yards. And amazingly, the Chicago's going to get first down and 10 at the Philly 30-yard line. What were the Liberty thinking? Team reactions for this one, Bailey said, What a performance on the road. We needed to come back and play better after that awful game last week. We need to stay at the top, and I think moving to 5-2 and two is really good. The team had a short memory, and that was really great. In this league, you have to have that. Philly was controlling us pretty good, but we were able to make changes to get better. Scabby was amazing in the game, and O'Leary was great. Pat said, Tough loss at home. We're still a young team, and it showed with the number of mental mistakes we made. If you take away those miscues, it's a very different game. I feel like we're getting closer and closer to closing these games out. 
So I'm going to give my game of the week to the New York Silverbacks at the Honolulu Hahalua. My offensive player of the week is going to go to George O'Donnell, the Chicago quarterback. And my defensive player of the week is going to go to Dijibuti McJimerson, Sarasota cornerback. Power rankings, we had some shakeups at the top. Yellowknife take over that top spot, topping Sarasota, who falls down to number two. Orange County stays at three. Austin moves up one spot to four. New Orleans falls one spot to five. San Jose jumps up one spot to six. Colorado falls one spot to seven. Chicago stays at eight. Honolulu stays at nine. Arizona stays at 10. New York stays at 11. Baltimore stays at 12. Berlin jumps up one spot to 13. And Philadelphia falls one spot to the very bottom of the league at number 14. Moving on to week eight, my very quick predictions. I've got all but one home team winning. Second line at the Yeti, I'm going to have the Yeti winning that one. Silverbacks at Selfish, I'm going to have the Selfish winning that one. My one row team this week, I've got winning the Otters at the Fire Salamanders. I've got the Otters winning this one. Next up, we've got the Outlaws at the Liberty. I've got the Liberty hanging on at home. Next up, the Honolulu Hahalu at the Chicago Butchers. I've got the Butchers winning that one. The Austin Copperheads at the Baltimore Hawks. I've got the Hawks winning that one. The Sabercats at the Wraiths. I've got the Wraiths winning that one in the last game of week eight. Now we have one final thing to go through, and that's, of course, my music outro. I'm going to do another uh, Linda Etter song, because if you weren't convinced last week, maybe this one will convince you. This one's uh, from a musical called uh, Camille Claudia, I believe it is, and it's the very last song of the show. It's called Gold. So here's going to be her performance of that, and I'm going to be very glad to see you guys after week eight, and I will see you on Wednesday. Have a fantastic rest of your day. I wonder if when all is done Anyone heard my voice But from the start we have no choice Our journeys just begin I'll never know if I was right did I fight hard enough? When the battles grew too rough, should I have given in? But here I stand and swear to you, I did the best that I could do. heart's been driven by extremes, flying with dreams, tight with fear, but still God knows that I was here, and I was so alive, and now I lay the past to rest, for in the end I did my best, you have to
you so much.